0: Welcome to the Harbor Church podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. What's up, Harbor family? Make a little noise. Come on, let me make sure you're with me. There we go. Those of you that are watching online right now, thank you for tuning in. If it's Facebook or YouTube or listening on the podcast, you can make some noise by typing on the keyboard or whatever. Um, I'm glad that you're with us as well. This might be your first time ever at Harbor, and in which case, a special welcome to you. Thank you for coming out. Thanks for being here. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor at Harbor Church. I'm thrilled that you're with us because uh, we are into our sixth week on a series that we've called uh, The Good Work, and it's based all on the book of Nehemiah. And if you've never read the book of Nehemiah in the Bible, it is a fun book that really deserves six months, not just six weeks on it. Um, we, uh, we've talked about this, this idea of building a wall because the book of Nehemiah is about a guy named Nehemiah, shocker, that builds a wall around the city of Jerusalem. And he was a slave in the persian empire had never even been to jerusalem but knew that's where his his home people were from that's he was a jewish man that, that was uh, born in captivity but he knew that the jews belonged in the land of judah and that jerusalem was the capital city of god's plan for the jews and he knew that that city represented god's best his promises his protection his his peace and the joy that he offered and without that wall around that city, none of those people could enjoy that. And so we've just been talking about the series the series about building a wall and what that looks like. And uh, you can go back and, and listen to all the things that Nehemiah has to go through. But we, we, we know that he builds the wall. I kind of gave away the ending at the very beginning. He is able to accomplish this, this incredible feat. This, the city of Jerusalem sits in decay with its wall destroyed for 150 years. And nobody has the courage or the determination to get the wall built because none of the enemies around Jerusalem want them to build a wall. And that's very similar to where we find ourselves today. There is There are so many areas of our lives, so many relationships, so many neighborhoods, so many workplaces that are lacking God's best, that are missing out on the peace and the joy and the, the protection of God in that because it's, it's not what God intended. It's not God's best. And And we we should speak into that, but there are so many people that try to stop it. There's so many there's so many enemies to God's best. And we looked at last week. Even though they got the wall built, what did Nehemiah have to go through? And there's some bad guys, namely Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem are the three main bad guys. And, and they, they hate that the Jews are going to get this wall built. So last week, before the Jews even get started, before Nehemiah and the people even start building the wall, they're threatening them. They're planning on killing them. We looked at discouragements last week. When we're trying to do what it is that God has for us, we're going to face discouragements. And they, it was so bad that they threatened to kill them. that the workers, while they're building the wall, because they're under constant threat of an attack, they have to stack bricks. They have to hold a brick in one hand and a sword in the other. They, they had to always be on guard. That's I mean, that's an intense work environment because, dis, because discouragements were so heavy. But discouragements don't stop them, and they get the wall built. And what I've noticed is that when Satan can't discourage us, he comes at us with an even better attack, something that he's still using today. And when discouragements don't work, usually what does work is distractions. I have found that we are a culture that just gives in to distraction. We are the most distracted group of people in the existence of mankind. And if you're like, like oh, you're talking about the young people in the room. I'm talking about everybody in the room. If you're eight or 80, you belong to the most distracted time in, in all of mankind. We have so many things that pull us away. We are just, yeah. and listen, I'm a pastor. I know all about rabbit trails, okay? Like, I get it, but it, it, it's, it's really prevalent. It's really prevalent, and I think it's, it's not just in the physical world. I think it's a spiritual thing as well, distractions, the way that Satan uses them, the way that you and I are prone to them. See, when we want to build a good work, man, we get all excited, I'm going to do it. I heard a good message. I read my Bible this week. I've been praying. I'm going to be better. I'm going to do it. You think about the good work. I'm going to work on my marriage. I'm going to actually love my spouse. I'm going to get my life cleaned up. I'm going to say no to that addiction, that struggle I've been given into. I'm going to change my attitude. I'm going to work more. I'm going to be better with my money. I'm going to love some family members. I'm going to try harder at where you fill in the blank. The good work, the wall building that God's called you to, we all get excited about it but few of us follow through with it. And the reason for that is because, man, we're like, I'm going to do it. I'm so ready. Here we go. And what it is, it's like a it's like a spiritual journey where you're like, man, I'm going to get me some closeness with God. And you're all excited about it. And closeness with God is on sale two for one at the back of the store. And you enter into that store that we call the rat race. And you're like, I'm here for one thing and one thing only. I'm going to go get me some closeness with God. I'm going to be a better person this week. That's where I'm going the corner of the store but you entered into that store spiritually hungry and i know i'm not the only fatty in here who walked into a store plan on buying one thing and then comes out with a whole grocery cart full of crap you don't need Cause on your journey, you're like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm here for God. I'm going to be better this week. You're like, oh, look at that. There's some anger that I don't really need, but I think looks delicious. And oh, ooh, some lust over here. Let me get into that. And now oh, I'm going to be good. I'm going to. That's it. That's all I'm buying. I'm going to keep going. And then all of a sudden, Tuesday comes up, and you're like, well, I do. I am a little bitter. Let me go over here and put some bitterness in my cart because they deserve that. And we can't get to where we're going because we are so easily distracted spiritually. By all the things that Satan wants to hear, here, 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 here.
1: You see, they did a
0: study and they said that in the, this is a secular study, they said that in a typical work day, the average employee is distracted for two out of their eight hours. Two full hours. That's a quarter of what you're being paid to do. You're distracted by your cell phone or the computer or hanging out at the water cooler. Some of y'all are like, "Oh, my boss isn't in here because two hours is he'd be lucky if it's two hours." Some of you, two hours is all you get in on work. It's the six that you're distracted. But that just saying on average. And here's the thing: I don't just think, I don't think that's the only people that miss out. I don't think it's just average employees missing out on work. I think on average, the typical spouse misses countless opportunities every day to pour into their marriage and to build up their partner and to strengthen that relationship because you're too distracted by all the other things that you want and that you've got going on. I think on an average day, the typical parent is too distracted to take advantage of the opportunities that God has given them to pour into their child, to their son or their daughter, to build them up into the people that God's called them to be, to invest in your child because your cell phone's demanding your time or your energy level isn't quite high enough for you to invest in that kid or work is flowing away from you. We're always distracted and we miss out. I think the typical friend, every week the average friend misses, I mean, probably it's an unforeseen um, uh, amount of opportunities to build up your other friend to encourage them, to inspire them. You miss out on it because you're distracted by what makes you happy and what show is out on Netflix right now and about what you gotta do. And what's worst of all of that, I think, is that the typical Christian misses hundreds, maybe even thousands of opportunities every month to be more of the man or the woman that God's called him to be. Opportunities to worship God more, to serve God more, and to be used by God in ways that changes people's lives for eternity, all because Satan is a master at distracting. I read to you last week from 1 Peter, and it says in verse, 8, uh, verse 3 to 5, it says, watch out, pay attention, wake up. You have an enemy that hates you. His name is the devil, and he's a roaring lion. He's a prowling lion. He is a lion, and you are a gazelle, and he's just looking for somebody to chop down on. Now, how do you think he devours somebody? Well, if you we, we were here last week, his, his one of his favorite things to do is to discourage you. And he will devour you if he can into a place of just total discouragement where you won't go forward because everything sucks and you're broken. And if he can't discourage you, you better believe he will devour you by taking up all your time with distractions. I would argue that most of you, most Christians, most quote-unquote believers are living off of a fraction of 1% of God's blessing in their life. I think you're operating on so little of what it is that God has for you because you're, you're giving in so little. You have spiritual ADHD to the, to the utmost. You, you cannot stay focused on God because all it takes is just a little bit to pull you away from God. Some of you, it is just about killing you to come to church and not be in your cell phone or not start daydreaming or fall asleep. Spiritual discipline to stay spiritually focused, to do the right thing day in and day out is such a rare art form amongst Christians because Satan has us so used to pursuing everything else and everything else is so alluring. My job, my money, my romance, my relationships, my happiness, my retirement, my kids, my job, my toys, we're really distracted with the real God of our lives, and we miss out. So how do we, how do we deal with it? Well, I think the Bible makes it really clear, and Nehemiah is a perfect example of how you battle distraction. The best defense against distraction has been, and I think always will be, discernment discernment is, goes beyond wisdom. Discernment, as the Bible talks about it, is just, it's not just knowing the right things, but it's knowing when and how to do the right things. See, I can, I can have a lot of knowledge, but if I don't know how to use the knowledge and when to use the knowledge, it doesn't do me any good. A lot of us are missing discernment because our enemy is smarter than us, so he comes at us with discouragements, with distractions, with a lot of crap that we're just getting bombarded left and right with. And it's the discernment of being able to walk through that grocery store and go, that looks good, but I don't need it. And I tried that last year and it actually backfired on me. And I only want that because I'm hungry right now. And what I need is something real and not something fake and shallow. Oh, I know I'm preaching to somebody. We're gonna have a little fun with this, whether you want to or not. We're gonna have some fun with it. Let's see how it plays. Let's see how it plays out. And just remember, this this whole idea of discernment is something that that Paul asked and and promoted to his church, the, the church, the baby church in Philippi. When he wrote in Philippians chapter one, he said, verse nine, I pray this that your love will keep growing in knowledge, that you will continue to grow, not just in the knowledge, but in every kind of discernment. That is a growth. Every kind. You can't get enough. You get some of that. I need some more. I need more discernment. Oh, I got some discernment. I'm the most discerning person here. I still need more discernment. As soon as you think that you've got enough discernment, that's a big indicator that you don't have enough discernment. Just there's always more. Like, how can I get wiser? And God, how could I get better at knowing the right timing and the right usage of all the things that you've given me? There is... There, is, there's been few, there have been few messages in my life that I was as distracted as I was trying to write this message <laughs> on distraction. I had to turn my phone off. I had to lock my office. I had to drive. To, I had to just like, no, like, la, la, la. Like, everything was distracting me. And it de- wouldn't surprise me if while I'm preaching on this, wherever you're at, if you're watching this or if you're sitting in here, you're gonna to have to fight a lot of distractions just for us to talk about how to fight distractions. But I wanna show you the illustration the Bible gives us back to the story of Nehemiah. Homeslice has already been attacked. They've had people trying to kill them. They've had threats against their life and they have built a two and a half mile long wall that is eight feet wide by 40 feet tall. This is a huge, huge wall. And so we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 6, and it says in verse 1, Now when Sanballat, bad guy, and Tobiah, bad guy, and Geshem the Arab, another bad guy, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, so there's no more holes, no more gaps. They've got it all the way up 40 feet high, although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. So it's got all of them. There are eight gates in this wall. And so the gates don't have the doors on them yet. They've got the framework, but it's almost finished. It's it, like light at the end of the tunnel. They're almost done. And just because you think that you're almost there does not mean the enemy's going to give up on you. Just because you're like, well, I got it 90% of the way there. That's not 100%. He's not done yet. And they see that. And so they throw a Hail Mary. They're like, this is it. This is our last chance. These guys are almost there. They've almost built it. We kept them in check for 150 years, discouraging them. And discouraging these people didn't work. So, this group, this guy, Nehemiah, he actually did something. He seems to believe in a God we don't believe in. And he seems to be able to do something that we haven't been able to do. And they're almost ready to finish. So, discouragement didn't work. Let's try something else. So, stand ballot. <clears throat> In Geshem, this is verse number two, sent a letter. They sent a letter to me saying, hey, come and let's meet together at Heciferim in the plain of Ono. It's a village in an area called Ono. But they didn't really want a peace treaty. They didn't really want to have a conversation. They intended to harm me. This was a trap. It was going to be a, a surprise attack. Hey, come, let's talk about peace. Let's have a peace treaty. Let's, let's just talk about how we can get along. And they're planning on killing them. So I sent messengers to them saying, hey, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in that same way, four more, four more letters saying, come talk with us. We put all this work into a booby trap, and you're not coming. And I answered them in the same manner four times. I said, I ain't coming down. I ain't doing it. In the same way, Sandballot for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter. That means, you know, he posted it on Facebook for everybody to see, all caps. He CC'd the whole workplace is what he did. He said, I'm oh, just going to say this is between me and you, but if anybody else wants to read this, He said in this open letter, and in it was written, hey, it's reported, people are talking. A lot of people are saying this thing. It's reported amongst the nations. And Geshem also says it. Remember my friend? He says it's true. Oh, you really, you used your own friend to corroborate the lie that you're telling? That's a surprise. Okay, but he says it's true that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that's why you're building the wall. And according to these same reports, you, Nehemiah, wish to become their king. We also heard that you set up prophets. You paid priests to lie and to proclaim you concerning that there's a new king in Judah. Going around Jerusalem, telling everybody, there's a new king in Judah. Now, I tell you this, I'm going to tell King Artaxerxes. I'm going to tell the King Artaxerxes is the, the, the ruler of the Persian Empire who is over all of the Jewish territory of Judah as well. Artaxerxes is the king that Nehemiah worked for, who gave him permission to come be the governor of Jerusalem and fix the wall. But Sanballat's saying, we're going to tell your boss. He's going to find out that you're trying to make yourself king. He's going to come in here and kill you. He said, that's what's going to happen. He's going to hear these reports. So if you don't want that to happen, then you come and let us take counsel together. You come have this meeting with us. If you don't want us to tell on you, remember those kids at school? You don't want me to tell a teacher, you know, it's like, okay, come on. He's like, we're going to do it. We're going to tell on you. So I sent to them saying, this is verse eight, no such thing as you have, uh, that you say has been done for you're inventing them out of your own mind. This complete and utter lies, totally false. You're inventing it for they wanted. So now he's given us a little insight. This is more of his discernment. The bad guys wanted to frighten us, thinking, hey, their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. If we can distract them with lies and all these things that was going to happen, all these stories, then they're not going to finish their work. And Nehemiah ends it by saying, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. I see him have to lean into this. And like I said, this is their Hail Mary. They, 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 they've stopped the wall forever. And now in just a few days' time, in just a couple of weeks, what had been sitting empty for 150 years, this group of people build this giant wall back up. And they're like, this is impossible. How is this happening? We threatened them and threatened them and threatened them, but they're still, it's still going. So we got to try something else. And see, here's what I'm saying. Satan will threaten and intimidate you to keep you from being the person that you're supposed to be and from being the kind of parent or the brother or sister or stepping into being the right son or the right daughter or the right boss or the right teacher or the right teammate. And he would do everything he can to discourage that. And if you, if you can go through that and go, God, I know this is the right thing and I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight that battle, I'm gonna go forward. Even that doesn't guarantee you that you're gonna be left alone. Because he doesn't just discourage, because if, if he can't stop you, he'll speed you up. He'll give you 10 other things to do. I just described like 90% of you in this room. If Satan can't stop you, he'll give you so many things to do that, yeah, you're making tons of progress in a lot of areas that make no freaking difference. You're amazing at work and your marriage is falling apart. You're, you're, you're killing your 401k. And yet your kids are going to not know anything about God and turn so far away from the path that they should be on. You're doing this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing super well. But you're not doing the thing that God designed you for. The purpose that he created you for, you're not even close to that, but you're, you're consoling yourself by all the little side projects you've got. What I see them do is they, they, they go, hey, Nehemiah, you deserve a break, bro. Look at you, 90-some percent of the way there. You need to take a break. They're offering him a vacation. Come down from the wall. Come out of Jerusalem. Come down to the plain of Ono. Hang out with us. It's like a timeshare spiel. Like, listen, three days, two nights. It's only going to be 90 minutes spiel, and the rest of it, you're going to have all the fun, all the fun you can have. It's going to be right here. Just come. Just come coming out. They're offering him a vacation and a peace treaty why wouldn't you do that? Right? Doesn't that sound right? Man, these guys have been hating me for a while and now they're offering me peace and a break because I've been working hard. If you read the verses, they're so under constant threat of attack. He says that the entire time for 50 some days, they don't change their clothes. They don't even take their clothes off because they're constantly afraid they're going to be attacked and killed. That's a lot of stress to put on your body. That's a lot of adrenaline to have to work through every day. So to be offered a break, ceasefire, just come hang out with us. Man, doesn't that sound good? But see, this is where Nehemiah has more discernment than us. See, what Nehemiah realizes is just because that, it sounds good doesn't mean it actually is good. And just because it looks convincing doesn't mean it's actually constructive. Just because I, I can be convinced of how pretty it is and how nice it is, and man, that sounds good doesn't mean it's actually good for me. I'm very easily tricked. This is why all the crap that the world throws at you is like, just follow your heart. Your heart's stupid. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, but like, (laughs) you and I want a lot of dumb stuff. Don't believe me? Check out half of the tattoos in this room that are over 10 years old. I really wanted it back then. It's a really bad idea today. But like, man, we wanted it, don't we? Man, we have all this, all this passion, all these things that we want that we're so convinced is helpful, but it's not actually constructive. It doesn't actually go towards what it is that God has for us. Proverbs says it this way, and I think Nehemiah knew this verse from Proverbs. I think Nehemiah told himself this when he got the letters. Hey, faithful are the wounds of friends, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Doesn't kisses sound good? Mm -mm, Kisses, thirsty kisses. I just love them. It's so good. Just give me some kisses, me and my enemy. No, they're trying to kill you, bro. They're offering kisses. but They're going to stab you. They, They want to kill you but we get so wrapped up because Satan puts everything in nice little bows and packages. Rarely does the poison and the cancer that he's trying to inject into your life and into your family and into your children and into your friendships and into your classroom and into your workplace, the poison that you and I swallow all the time doesn't come wrapped in a box that has the skull and crossbones on it. It has little bows on it. We're like, oh, this looks great for me. This just looks like it'll be delicious. And all my dumb friends are doing it, so I should do it too. And then we're surprised that we are nowhere near the men or the women that God has created us to be, and we're so far away. Why? Because we just, we look with our eyes and go, that's it. That's why God tries to tell us what real discernment looks like. And somebody needs to write this down. Real discernment is seeing it the way God sees it. See, God told his prophet Samuel, and I think it's Samuel 16. In 1 Samuel 16, he's telling Samuel, don't anoint these big, strong looking buff dudes to be king you look at him you're like this dude's big he looks awesome he's ripped he's handsome he looks like he should be king and samuel wasn't looking at this scrawny little shepherd boy named david because he doesn't look like a king and god tells him he says hey the lord doesn't see things the way you see him samuel people judge by the outward appearance but the lord looks at the heart See, real quick, just, I don't have time to preach on this too much, but a lot of people hear me say, you got to have discernment, and you think, well, discernment's always negative. Discernment's like, nope, that's a trap. Oh, that's evil. Uh, uh." And discernment gets this bad rap like it's always negative. See, in this case, discernment is actually being able to not only look at the good and see whether it's actually evil, but also to be able to look at the things that everybody else thinks is worthless and see the good. See, real discernment is seeing it the way God sees it. We've bought into this belief that God is this, Ogre long beard, you know guy with lightning bolts just waiting for us to have any fun And what he's really doing is he's saying hey I see what you don't see that looks like fun, and it will be for a few seasons But it's gonna ruin your life and that looks tempting But you're gonna destroy everything that you've built so far. You're gonna ruin your reputation You're gonna damage your marriage. You're gonna hurt your friends. You're gonna break your mom's heart You're gonna corrupt your kids You're going to actually become a horrible influence on your employees or your coworkers. He sees the long-term effects and he's going, no, no, no. And that's discernment. I want to see it the way God sees it. I want to see what I'm doing and how God sees it. And and I don't have time to go into that, but you need to look into that more. That Like, what is it that I'm seeing that I think looks all sunshiny and rosy and beautiful and it's actually a a cancer that I'm pulling into my body or into my relationships or into my my spiritual walk? I love his response though. This is the best response ever. I write back to him and I say, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Oh man, I can't come down. I cannot come down to your level, bro. I love it. He goes, why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? He's saying, I'm not gonna come down off of the wall. I'm not gonna come down from Jerusalem to the plains of Ono. I love that. Oh, no. Yeah, that's my answer. Oh, no. I ain't coming down. I'm not going to come down at the wall. I'm not going to come out of Jerusalem. And I'm not going to come down to your level. I'm not going to leave the high road and come down to the gutter. I'm not going to get into all of that with you. They have all these things they want to do. And Nehemiah literally just pulls this like, I ain't coming down. Bye, Felicia. I ain't coming down. That's it. He just he doesn't engage with him. He's like, let me give you twelve reasons, and let's have some dialogue, and let's have He just no, I ain't doing it. Done, I'm done. And what he's what he's saying is he's he's looking at it, and he's 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 saying I'm not gonna lower myself to your standards just because you act that way, and you're all into this devious deception just because your coworkers are shady. Just because some of your classmates act a certain way, just because your family members carry that kind of attitude, you don't have to do what they do. See, when they, lo- when they go low, you go high. It's old football terminology. If they're going to try to take you out, if they're going to try to take out your knees, you do... You do like the Patriots do. Go over top. We're not like the only ones that do it, but I did like that picture. There is this this idea that like, man, listen, there are people that are always going to be trying to take your legs out from underneath you. There's always going to be people who who are waiting to just grab your heel and sweep the, the rug out from underneath you. If you're in here and you've ever had the rug pulled out from underneath of you, the phrase meaning to be like surprise attacked in a very vicious way, man, that hurts. And if it's me, I'm like, well then, oh, you wanna play dirty? You're about to find out what it looks like when I play dirty. You're gonna do that, you're gonna go low, I'll go low. You're gonna hit me like that, I'm going to, and our response is to do to other people what they do to us. That's not what God's called us to. He's told us to think differently. He says in, in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world don't, don't act like, don't do what everybody else does. Just if everybody else goes low, you don't have to go low. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Allow God to change the way you think. Why? Because it's by testing that, by looking and going, is that of God or is that of the world? Is that a, a high road or a gutter move? What, what, what one is that? When I test that, that's where I can discern. Discernment, there it is again. That's where I learn discernment. By testing what it is. And that's where I'm going to find out what God's will is. What's good and acceptable. Yeah, but pastor, if they're, if they're playing dirty, if they're going to cheat the system, if they're going to, if they're going to manipulate the time clock, if they're going to... You, you fill in the blank, whatever it is that justifies why you do what everybody else does. That's not what God says. Just because they did you dirty doesn't mean that you have to respond that way. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, never pay back evil. with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. This is an ongoing practice to have this kind of discernment. Did you notice that they come at him four times? Four more times before they write the open letter, before we even get to the open letter. Four more times, like, no, come on. Come on down. No, I ain't coming down. Come come on down. I ain't coming down. Come on down. How many times do I got to tell you? Four times? They write that same letter. And four times he responds the same way because sometimes you stepping up and doing the right thing doesn't mean they'll leave you alone. You might have to actually keep going back and keep going. I ain't doing it. Just because you want to get high doesn't mean I'm going to get high. I'm not doing it. You might have to tell your boyfriend or girlfriend, I am not going to sleep with you. And then when they forget about it, the next time that you're watching Netflix and trying to chill, you go, no, I'm not doing it. And you might have to say it again and again and again because it's the right thing to do i knew that one would be really popular so (laughs) preach it pastor that one's for me preach it okay i will whatever the whole point is nehemiah part of his discernment was he he had to have some resilience he had to have some perseverance Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast, yeah. even under trial. For when you've stood the, te- the, the test, you will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You get a crown for being faithful. You don't get a crown for saying no and then giving in the next time. Stay faithful. You said it, no, you stood your ground. Don't let them push you. They're just waiting to see if you'll break. They're hoping that you're a liar. Don't be a liar. No, I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Just stick to your convictions. They're just testing because they got nothing else going for it. They just want to lower you to their level. So they're just going to keep picking. But you don't have to give into it. So they send their open letter to them. And they're like, fine, we're going to tell everybody what you're doing. And they, he says, well, it's reported among the nations. And even Geshem says it, which I find hilarious. Everybody's saying it. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody knows that you guys are rebelling against the king. They have this whole discourse about how, how he's, he's, he's betraying, he's, he's committing treason against King Artaxerxes. Totally untrue. It's a complete lie. Nothing can be further from the truth. And yet they know that when you tell a blat- like a blatant lie, it can be one of the most distracting things. And when you tell it, and you tell him that everybody else believes it, it's maddening. I think my family does this to me on purpose, where they all agree about the dumbest thing. Are there more doors or wheels in the world? And they will all agree that it's one of them. And I'm like, you're stupid. It's clearly not that one. But they will all agree. Now it's a dumb little debate you could have on the ride home. but see, this is, the thing, this is the thing about how Satan works. He, he gets us to be distracted by the numbers of people that are buying into a lie. And it makes us depart from what we're doing to go, am I wrong? You see, <clears throat> what's right isn't always popular. And what's popular isn't always right. The, the popular stuff that happens in culture is designed to distract you even if it's completely wrong, even if it's the absolute furthest thing from God's word and God's best, because apparently it looks like on the surface that everybody on the planet believes this, except for you, you then tend to go towards that. Evan, what color is this marker? It's blue, bro. What color is this? I'm telling you it's blue. For those of you on the podcast that can't see it this is clearly a red marker i mean every bit of it is red not just the cap like the whole thing is red but i'm telling you evan it's it's blue all right for this illustration i want everybody in this section over here i want you to agree with me okay this is blue is this blue hey how many think this is blue evan what color is this do you see how many people think you're an idiot you understand? I thought you knew better than that. All right, I want all of you, both of you sections to agree with me. What color is this? Blue. You hear that? Blue. Not one of them said red, Evan. Not one of them said red. They all said blue. Now, everybody in here, with the exception of Evan, you're on my side now. You agree with me. Raise your hand if you think this is blue. Come on. Evan, take a look around. All of these people think you're an idiot. Every one of these people think you're stupid. That's how it works in society you begin to go like, what, am am I taking crazy pills? All of these people see something I don't see and believe something I don't believe, I must be wrong. That is a trick from Satan. Society will always drift away from God's best. On accident, sometimes they find some real truth, but what generally is most popular isn't usually what's right. And what is the right thing is generally what's not popular. So if you're at work and you're only making the popular choices, if you're at school and you're only doing the popular things, now, by the way, not all of that is wrong. I'm not trying to say every single thing is wrong, but I am saying in general, this is how you fall into this trap. We believe a lie and then we get so wrapped up that everybody else is, is, is saying it wrong. We, we, we try really hard to try to change everything. I love the way that... that Benjamin Franklin talks about the fact that people just blatantly lie about us sometimes or just lie. He, goes, he says this, since I cannot govern my own tongue, though within my own teeth, then how can I hope to govern the tongues of others? I can't keep my, I can't, I, I got enough to worry about with me. I cannot get wrapped up in all you all. And sometimes I watch the TV and I'm like, the world is going crazy. And then I get all wrapped up in how I got to convince all the crazy people in the world not to be crazy. I've got enough to worry about making me not crazy. (laughs) I can't get sucked into that because that is a giant distraction that takes me away from what it is that God has for me. So what does he do? This is the thing that that, that really got me in this whole attack. Last week they came and they said, you guys are rebelling against the king. They already attacked their motives before. Did you notice what they did different this week? They didn't just say, hey, you're rebelling against the king. They went and they, then after they attacked their, his, their motives, they attacked Nehemiah's character directly. You, Nehemiah, want to make yourself king, don't you? You, Nehemiah, want to promote yourself as king. You shady jerk, look at you. There's nothing further from the truth. Nehemiah was given the power of governor and he didn't even collect. You gotta go read the book for yourself. He doesn't even collect the governor's taxes, which was his right to collect. He doesn't take any of the money that he's entitled to. He instead gives his money to the rest of them to feed the workers. He, he goes so far to try to push away from making himself look special that he gives up all of his authority and all of his rights to feed people and to bless people, to go as fr- far away from trying to make himself the center and that's the thing they use against him. I mean, that was, that's a big deal. He tries really, really, really hard to make sure he doesn't come across as an overbearing leader or as somebody that feels entitled. And then they challenge him, and I don't have time to preach this, but they challenge him and they said, we, we heard that you hired preachers or priests or prophets to proclaim you as king. They accuse him of, of paying Levites and priests to, to use their spirituality and their religious uh, stage to promote him. What's you ever in your family? Do you ever have the, whoever smelt it, dealt it rule? Okay. Like three of us. I thought that would land more. It's an old saying that like when you're the, when you're the first one to blame, it's usually because you're the one that did it. They are blaming Nehemiah for something they actually do. I don't have time to preach it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it in this week's, um, second helping. And, uh, I, there's a whole sub story here of them hiring a priest to try to lure uh, Nehemiah into the temple just to discredit him uh, under a threat of an assassination. And it's a really cool story, but it's all, it's all the things that they're accusing him of is actually the things they're doing. And they come at him and they challenge this. And I see this really dark moment in his life where he's looking at it going, I'm trying really, really hard to be a good guy. And you're, you're actually accusing me of the very thing I'm, 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 I'm trying not to be. And I know that there's times in my life, and I can't speak for you, but I imagine if you're honest, there's times when things got really dark and you came under some heavy persecution or some really heavy news or some really trying times or some really tough circumstances, and that's where you were most tempted to compromise what it is that you were supposed to be and who it was you're supposed to be. I remember when Kaylee and I, when Kaylee and I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and prayed and fasted and prayed and fasted, about starting a church. And then we we knew because God spoke in a way that, man, it crushed us and it blew us away. We're just like, fine, God, if you want us to plant a church, we'll plant a church. And we didn't get it and we didn't understand it, but we knew one thing, and that's that God called us to plant a church. And then we took a step of faith and we left our jobs and we cashed in everything we could. And we, we went to work trying to plant a church. And I can't tell you how many doors slammed in our face and how many people told us we were crazy. And in those dark moments was when we, we had to go no, just because it's dark right now, just because I can't see the sun because I'm in the time of shadow doesn't mean I'm going to doubt the mountaintop. I have to get through this time and go, no, God, what's going on is actually bigger than this. And Nehemiah knew that he was called to build the wall regardless of what people said. And there's something my dad used to say to us as a kid. And it was something that I wanted to pass on to you guys. Don't destroy in the dark what you built in the light when you know that this is where I've got to be, it doesn't mean that th- times won't get dark. It doesn't mean that things won't go bad. It doesn't mean you won't go through rough times. You stood at an altar and you made a vow that said, I will love you till death do us part through good times and bad times. And just because it's dark and you're in a shadow doesn't mean you get to give up on that. And just because you don't right now, you don't feel the power of God in your life doesn't mean that you get to resign yourself to an addiction that, it, that is consuming you. And just because right now is a dark time and you don't know how you're gonna pay your bills doesn't mean you resort to being shady or to stealing. It doesn't mean that you start doubting God and giving up on it. What you know is, is true in the light, you hold to in the dark because Satan is sitting there going, no, no, now's the time to give up. And that's why you don't give in to these kind of distractions. You can come out of it the other side. You believe in the moment that you have to let go, but you don't. You can come back out into the daylight and go, oh, no. I'm so glad I didn't cash in. I'm so glad I didn't give up. Matthew... Six uh, Matthew 7, verse 6 says this. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and turn them back on you. See what that is saying? And I love the way the Bible speaks sometimes. Don't waste, don't waste the valuable stuff on pigs. Don't get down into the pig trough to try to argue with a pig. See, when he says his reply, right? So that they send those open letters. They say you're shady, you're trying to make yourself king. His reply in verse eight is simply, no such thing that you said has been done. You're inventing out of your mind. What are you talking about, Willis? He says, you're crazy, he says, you're crazy. Nothing you said is, is that any bit true. What he doesn't do is he doesn't lower himself into a back and forth. Let me talk about all the ways that I'm doing all the good things and all the ways you're lying. He just goes, nope, that's not true. That's not true. You don't waste what's holy on people that are unholy. You don't don't cast your pearls before swine. They don't appreciate it. Some of you are, are busy getting into arguments online or with family members or coworkers. They're not trying to learn. They're not trying to grow. They're just trying to get a rise out of you. Some of you should have wrote that down. You don't have to get into it with them. That's not proving anything. It's just distracting you. And Satan knows that because what he does is he uses distractions to turn detours into the destinations. You go down this rabbit trail over here. You gotta prove this. You gotta do this. You gotta take care of this. You gotta go over here and you gotta make sure they hear this, they see this, they do all this right. And then you never end up getting back on course. You never get back to where you were. You you become a, a, a warrior for this injustice over here and you never get back to what it is that God's called you to or designed you for. He's great at giving you little off-ramps to take you away from the path, and then that ends up being where you camp out the rest of your life. And a lot of us are guilty of that. So, Pastor, what are you saying? Well, I mean, the Bible's pretty clear. In in Proverbs 26, it says, Don't answer answer foolish arguments of fools, or else you'll become as foolish as they are. Don't, Don't try to argue with an idiot. It makes you look stupid. But the very next verse says, be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools or else they'll become wise in their own estimation. Sounds like a complete contradiction from the Bible. Don't argue with an idiot or else they'll make you look like an idiot too. Make sure you argue with an idiot or else they think they're right. You're like, well, which one is it, Bible? That's why you need discernment. There are times that God has allowed you to have relationships with fools. And you are the person that needs to tell them what you're doing is foolish and stupid and it's not right so that they understand the error of their ways. But then discernment also says there's also times where you just go because it's not worth it. And you have to know when is when and some of you err completely to one side or the other and it's not always going to be one side or the other. Sometimes you have to stand up for what's right and help them understand that they're being stupid. And sometimes you have to shut up And just let them be stupid because that's the only way they're going to learn. Take it for what it's worth. It says this. This is the end of the story and I'll just close out here. Nehemiah 6, I'm jumping to verse 15. He says, on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. 52 days, they built a wall that had been broken down for 150 years. 52 days. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, They were frightened and humiliated. And they realized that this huge work, this giant wall that nobody could seem to build for a century and a half, that got built in 52 days, had to have been done with the help of our God. See, I love the thing that you've got to build, the wall you've got to build, the work you've got to do. As monumental as it seems to you to fix that wrong, To breathe life back into your friendships or into your your family, to turn your work environment around, to salvage your marriage, to be reunited with your parents, to find victory over that addiction. That seems like it's never gonna happen. But when it does happen, because God's with you, everybody on the outside that sees it goes, that's because of their God. Their God had to be a part of that. Do you understand why Satan so badly wants to distract you from that finish line? He doesn't want God getting any glory. And when the monumental thing that you've got to build, the wall that seems impossible actually gets built because God is good. Thought somebody would appreciate that. Because God is good. That brings glory to him, and Satan hates that. He's going to do everything he can to keep you from that finish line. It's why he doesn't want you to hear the message from God that says, you need discernment. You need discernment. How do I I find discernment? How do I find discernment? I'm glad Nehemiah had it, but I ain't Nehemiah, Pastor Josh. Cool, neither am I. We all got a long ways to go. If, I, if it said that Josh was the one building the wall when all that crap happened, I would have responded in the exact opposite way and Nehemiah never would have got built. I would have been killed in oh no. I would have. I'd like to think I went down swinging, but I still did, you know? I'm just not, I, I just don't have the discernment that Nehemiah has. So that's, that's something I've got to work on. Nehemiah shows us how it happened. How long did it take for him to build the wall? 52 days. If you were here when I read chapter one and chapter two, the time from chapter one to chapter two was four months. At the end of chapter one, he has a burden for the wall. At the beginning of chapter two, he goes into the king to ask for permission to go build the wall. Between those two, he spent four months praying and fasting. Praying and fasting. He spent four months praying and fasting about a wall and then spent two months to build it. He spent twice as long on his knees Asking God for help with the wall more than he did breaking his back to build the wall. Why? Because when God calls you to a good work, the real work is on a spiritual plane long more and long far, farther before it is on a physical plane. The spiritual job is going to be where the work is done. The the spiritual application here is where you have to lean in and go, God, I, I need to do that work four months he prayed about it and it only took him two months to build it. I think it's because it's twice as important. And he got discernment. He got discernment the same way you can have discernment. First and foremost, he knew God's word. Nehemiah was in God's word. Do you know God's word? Do you even read God's word? Have you picked up a Bible? Heck, you don't have to read the whole thing tomorrow, but you should be able to read a few verses. Put some of God's truth into your life. There's one reason, and really it's only one reason at all that I ever, I give you scripture when I preach. Because I love telling stories. I could do this whole message with just stories. But you know what? The Bible never says that Josh's words change anybody's life. The Bible says that God's word will not return void. The Bible says that God's word does a powerful work in your life. So the reason that I try to put a lot of verses into my message is because I can't do anything for you. But I believe that God's word can penetrate your heart. It says it's like a surgeon's scalpel. It can cut into the bone and the marrow of your body. It can do work in your life far greater than anything I could ever say. So get God's word in your life. Psalms 119 verse 11. I put this in a lot of Bibles that I sign. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've, put, I've taken your word and I'm, I'm digesting it. I'm reading it. I'm memorizing it. As much as I can, I'm putting it in here so that I have discernment so I don't screw up. Why? Because I'm a dumpster fire that likes to screw up. And what I need is I need some word that keeps that from happening. So you know God's word. That's how you get discernment. But then you mature in your faith. You got to mature in your faith. You got to have some maturity. The book of James uh, says that we're like babies when we first start walking with God. We just need milk and we'll take anything. Whatever oh, I was thinking. A baby doesn't know what to put in his mouth or not. Put a kid in a shopping cart, they put their mouth all over that handle. It's just disgusting. Well, at least my kids do. Maybe yours are better. <laughs> but what the Bible says is that we have to grow in some maturity. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we, as we follow after God, as we spend some time in church, as we spend some time in prayer, as we surround ourselves with brothers and sisters. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with with lies that sound clever and these things that sound like truth, which is exactly what I talk about in that, that second helpings. Even spiritual people, even pastors, even spiritual leaders can deceive people. That's why it can't be about me. It can't be about somebody you look up to. It can't be, about, it's gotta be about truth out of God's word. That's where your maturity is gonna come. That's where you're gonna learn that discernment. And the last thing, besides, besides knowing God's word and, and maturing in your faith, the Bible says that it's actually a, a gift from the Holy Spirit. The Bible actually talks about it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says that it's a gift from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings discernment. So you can ask, if you're a believer, you can ask for discernment. You can ask for God from discernment, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that the unbeliever does not receive things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are only spiritually discerned. The discernment on a spiritual level comes from your connection to the Holy Spirit. See, here's the truth. You can say, you, you can, and I know there's people listening right now, people watching. You're like, I'm not sure about this whole God thing. I don't know if I believe in God. I'm not ready for all of this. I'm just kind of checking it out. You can take the truth from God's word and apply it and find a lot of success. There's a lot of people who are not believers who have taken the truth of God's word and been bene- have benefited from it. Because it's, it's a blessing. It's God's truth. It's going to work because it's truth. But the application, the long-term benefit, isn't just making yourself wealthy or popular or becoming a good leader here on earth. The long-term application is connecting to the God who made you and the God whose words it is that is bringing you the truth. And that Holy Spirit connection is what gives you an eternal benefit. Bible says, what do you gain if you you get the whole world and you lose your soul? If you take the truth and you make yourself a great leader and build a lot of great works here on the earth, but you miss out on a connection to God and you miss out on eternity in heaven when you die, what did you really get? That's eternity. This life is just a vapor. The more valuable thing is for you to find the connection and find the discernment that comes from having the Holy Spirit live inside of you. And if you'd say, Pastor, I'm already a believer. I've already got, already got the Holy Spirit. Then are you growing in that discernment? Or are you still a baby? Are you applying discernment so that you can get some works done? Build some really big walls? Or are you still worrying about what you like? Are you distracted by all the things that glitter around you? Are you? Have you gone down so many rabbit trails that you're not building anything close to what it is that God's called you to build? Those are the questions we've got to answer. In church, when we answer them and we do it God's way, we're going to see a good work happen. We're going to see it happen in our lives. We're going to see it happen in our families. We're going to see it happen in our communities. We're going to see Cape Cod get on, uh, lit on fire for God. And we're going to see God use the believers that follow after him to turn the world upside down. I don't know how much more time we've got, but I know that God says he's not willing that any should perish. So if we get on fire, I believe God will light that fire and fuel that and all the all the relationships we have but we gotta know what we're doing. So let me pray over you. If you would, would you just bow your head right where you're at, close your eyes, and I'm gonna pray, but I want you, while you're sitting there with nobody looking around, give everybody the privacy that I'm asking them to give you. And if you're online, I want you to close your eyes. If you're listening to this and you're somewhere else, close your eyes, and right now, I just want you to ask yourself that question. Where am I at with the Holy Spirit? Do you actually have a relationship with God? For some of you in this room, you need to start with, I don't even have God in my life. You want the benefits, but you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you, you would say, I'm already the believer, pastor. I'm already a a quote unquote Christian, but I'm not doing a good work. If you identify right now and you'd say, "I, I, I know that there was a time in my life where I had Jesus Christ in my heart. I know there's a time in my life where I I put him in the driver's seat. But if I'm honest right now in this moment, I'm not really following him. I've been distracted. I've been discouraged from the good work. I'm not the kind of man, the kind of woman I'm supposed to be. I'm not acting like the father or the husband or the wife or the mother or the brother or the sister or the son or the daughter that I'm supposed to be. I'm not the employee I should be. I'm not the boyfriend or the girlfriend I should be. I'm not, I'm not doing anything the way that God has really designed me to be. But right now in this moment, I know I need to do better and I'm making a commitment that I will. If that's you and you know that to be true and you say in this moment, I wanna, I wanna have a testimony that I'm gonna, ha- I'm gonna allow God to do a work in me and through me. Then with nobody looking around, I just want you to slip your hand up. Just put your hand up and say, pray for me, pastor. I, I want to do more. I know I'm not where I should be. I know I'm not, I'm not building the work like I should. You can slip it up and then put it right back down. I see hands popping up all over the place. I see a lot of hands. People saying, that's me. I'm not where I need to be, but I- I'm making the commitment. I'm, right now, I know that I could. I know I can do better. And I'm, I'm asking, pastor, pray for me. Let me do better. And as, as, you, as you think through that, I know that there's still people listening That you want to do better, but you're in that other camp. You're in the camp that doesn't even have Jesus. You have to start by inviting him into your life. You have to start by inviting him in as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you'd be honest enough, just between me, you, and God, nobody's looking around. But maybe you'd be honest enough right now to say, I am not a believer. I don't have Jesus in my life but I want to. I want to have a walk with him. If that's you, just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you. I won't call you out. Just say, hey, that's me. I, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want Jesus in my heart. Pastor, pray for me. Just slip it up and put it right back down. That's me. I need that. I need, I need to make Jesus number one in my life. Pray for me. I see several hands. Thanks for being honest. That's not an easy thing to say. I, I, need, I need Christ in my life. I need a new driver. I've got to move out of that seat and I need him there. I saw several people raise their hands and probably a few more that should have, but you, you chickened out. You weren't sure if you could. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray out loud. Why don't you pray quietly right where you're at? As I pray out loud, why don't you do real business with God right there in that seat or wherever you're listening and say, God, I need you more than I need anything else. Help me. Help me do a good work. Those of you that don't have salvation yet, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you start there and you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, come into my life. I want you to be the one in control. I want you to be the one sitting in the driver's seat. If you'll make that your prayer, then the Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you. And what you can do is you can get to work. You can get to work looking more like Jesus tomorrow than you did today. And every single one of us can be different walking out this room than how we walked in, if we'll be honest with God as I pray, you pray. dearly Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for all you've done. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for the story of Nehemiah. Thank you for the way that you encourage us not to get distracted, not to allow the things people say to pull us away from you, not to allow the lies that are told or the, the bad things that are done to us to, to change the way we look at the world, but God, thank you for giving us a reason to go on. God, thank you that you love the relationships in this room, even more than we do. God, thank you that you, you have a better plan for our families than what we have. You want us to be better parents than even we want. You want us to be better friends and better husbands and better wives. You want us to be better moms and dads. You want us to be better bosses and employees, better teachers and better students than what we want. But Lord God, your plan necessitates that we put you at the center. And so, Lord, I ask that right now, myself and every person under the sound of my voice makes you the center of their life. That we let you be the one in the driver's seat. And God, I saw so many hands that said that they need you as a savior. I pray that those people right now, the ones that raised their hands and the ones that should have, that they do serious, just a serious work with you to truly open up their lives and accept your forgiveness. And invite you to be the Lord of their life. God, I pray that each and every one of us would get to work, that we wouldn't be distracted, that the things we say this week, the things we do, the people we talk to, the way we act towards our family members and friends, all of it would bless you. It would honor you. It would point people to you. We ask all of this, we pray all of this in your precious and holy name. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.